Let us pray. Almighty God, you have knit together your elect in one communion and fellowship in the mystical body of your Son. Give us grace so to follow your blessed saints in all virtuous and godly living, that we may come to those ineffable joys that you have prepared for those who truly love you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns one God in glory everlasting. Amen. Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. The word of the Lord. Our New Testament reading is in the book of Revelation. John testifies, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb is in the midst of the throne. He will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The word of the Lord. God. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. 
And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons and daughters of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Gospel of the Lord. Jesus, we do confess together that you reign over all things, and we um, confess that you are Lord of this church, and you reign over us. We are so thankful for your rule. And as we um, uh, gather together um, on this day, we do remember our daughter church, Resurrection Anglican. They kick off weekly services uh, right now. Um, in the, the service they're having at this moment, bless them, Lord, may they know your joy and your presence and your mission um, as they meet together. And again, we are thankful for the bond that we have in you. And we lift all these prayers up in your holy name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, there's a podcast uh, that I uh, really like. I've mentioned before in sermons uh, called The Happiness Lab um, that is basically uh, shares about these studies around happiness and what uh, makes people happy and what makes people unhappy. And I think it's the very first episode. It begins and they play a recording that someone had made. Um, a um, student who had applied to Yale had gotten a letter from Yale and was opening it, recording their opening of it to see whether they got in or not. Um, and um, they did get in. And as you can imagine, they um, expressed great excitement um, and happiness upon learning that they've been accepted to Yale, which is a very hard school, of course, to get into. Um, but then the um, host of the show, who's a professor at Yale, Lori Santos, um, shares how this happiness is so exciting to hear and encouraging to hear. But then she shares that actually when they do surveys among Yale students, and again, just in the conversations that she has with her students, they find that most students at Yale are extremely unhappy. They actually have great anxiety. They struggle with depression. They feel incredible pressure that leads them to feel unhappy. And so she brings out there's this sad disconnect between coming into Yale, entering, where they feel great happiness, and yet living in Yale and living in that environment, they actually struggle with extreme unhappiness. And I want to suggest that sometimes perhaps there's a similar sort of disconnect between entering into the kingdom, coming into God's kingdom, and living in his kingdom. And I think sometimes we can actually make a, a disconnect between the two that shouldn't be there. Not so much in regard to happiness, but in regard to repentance. So we're thinking about living in the kingdom. That's the series that we're in today. I want to think about how repentance is a mark of living in the kingdom. But I think sometimes maybe our mentality is, oh no, repentance is how you come into the kingdom, which is true. It is how we come into the kingdom. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And so we do enter into his kingdom through repentance. And yet I believe in the scriptures, we also see that life in the kingdom is one marked by repentance. And actually that a life of repentance is a joy, that that's actually a happy life. Now, I'm not saying the sin that leads to repentance leads to joy. It does not, right? Joy or Sin hurts us. Um, it damages us. 
But to turn away from that sin, to acknowledge its harm, and to turn to the Lord, to turn away from darkness towards light is joy. The repentance is actually a gift that we're given. And it's something, again, that we live out as we live out lives in the kingdom. So I want to consider that um, and look at Psalm 32. And actually, the question I want to ask is, well, what keeps us from repentance then? Because I think many of us, certainly the psalmist experiences that, I think many of us do, that sometimes we resist repenting, maybe repenting to another person, maybe repenting to the Lord, that even though we know actually it's something we're called to, we know it's part of life in the kingdom, we don't do it. What prevents us from turning to the Lord in repentance? What prevents us from living that life of repentance? I want to suggest two things. And one of those things I believe is shame. Right? We don't repent because we feel shame. It begins, verse 1, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. So that's telling us there is blessedness, there is happiness in repentance. As we know the forgiveness of our transgressions, as we know our sin being covered, there is blessedness. And again, that can be translated, happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Then we get to verse 2, and it says, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And we may read that and we may say, well, I want that blessing. And that means no iniquity, no deceit. And that may be where the shame starts to creep in. Well, I do have sins in my life. There is deceit. And sometimes shame then can say to us, hide that. Cover that up. Right? Deny it. You know, don't let on, right? Because you want this blessing, right? You want to be counted with no iniquity. So maybe the answer is just to ignore that. And that is uh, the voice of shame. And when we consider actually the words that are used to speak of sin, we can understand why we would feel shame, right? Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Transgression sort of brings out, right, that sin is active. It's a crossing a line. It's really rebellion against God. As I thought about transgression, I thought about a two-year-old, you know, who's just learning to say no. You know, and you tell, you know, your two-year-old, you know, as they're holding food over the, the ground, don't drop that piece of food. Do not drop it. And they look you, you know, straight in the eyes and just drop it, you know, just like enjoying their power to rebel against you. Um, and then you think, wow, we're that way with God sometimes. Like we know God has said, don't do this. And there are times in which, you know, we pretty much just look him in the eye and say, I'm going to do it. And we can feel shame around that. Iniquity in many ways kind of captures sort of a life of just sort of perhaps in some ways making friends with sin. Sort of certain areas that we just say, you know, it's just who I am. I'm just not going to let go of that. And deceit, right, captures how we can be sneaky at times. We can want to hide our sin or just deny it or maybe sort of lie to ourselves. Well, it's not, it's not really sin. And, or I'm allowed this. I, I deserve this after all the things I've had to face and deal with in my life. And again, to look into those and to face them honestly, there, we feel some shame. But, but actually, when we hold that in, when because of shame we do not speak out our confession, we don't acknowledge, we don't repent, it actually just makes things worse. We see that and then in verse 3 and 4. For when I kept silent, he's saying, when I did not repent, when I didn't cry out to the Lord and seek his forgiveness, my bones wasted away, my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. These images capture actually the the intense, you know, um, unhappiness that the psalmist felt when he didn't repent, when he kept silent. 
as I read these, I thought about an experience that Molly and I had a number of years ago. We were moving into a, a, an apartment. It was kind of a, a townhome. We'd actually never been inside this townhome before. We had seen pictures of it. We had visited others in the unit, but we hadn't been inside this one. We uh, moved in on a hot summer day, and we immediately realized there were some problems uh, with uh, this place. Um, at the top of the list was that it smelled of cat urine. Um, not a great smell, especially on a hot summer day, and things just got worse <laughs> from there. And so for my plan for the first few days was just to deny how bad it was. I thought, you know, we had just, uh, we were starting a, a job um, at a church, and I thought, okay, I'm a pastor now, I'm supposed to suffer, and so I'll just pretend it's not that bad. You know, I'll just keep reminding myself of missionaries who are suffering somewhere. And, and so I'd wake up in the mornings, and I'd literally be like, I don't smell any cat urine, it's fine. Um, and then I'd go down and make a really uh, strong cup of coffee so I couldn't smell the cat urine. I would just smell the coffee uh, smell to kind of um, give it up. And so this worked for a few days. I just kept denying and denying and saying everything was great. And then one day I was um, uh, trying to open a window. <laughs> Molly remembers this very clearly. And it was stuck And because uh, the apartment had lots of problems and the windows didn't open. And so I tried to force it open. And I hurt my hand. And somehow the pain of that moment um, freed me to tell the truth. And I just screamed, I hate this place. Um, and it was so freeing. It was like, ah. The truth has come out, and uh, then we could move out, and two days later, we moved uh, to a different apartment. Um, and I feel like that's kind of what the psalmist is saying here. Look, when I kept silent, I, was, I felt awful. Right? I could feel the hand of the Lord heavy upon me. I thought it was better not to confess, and yet I suffered. And then I confessed, right? I turned from the darkness to the light, and there's freedom. And so he says, confess, right? It leads him to say, don't hold it in, confess. And so if we think, oh, I can't bear the shame... The sort of surprising truth is, actually, the freedom from shame comes when we acknowledge our shameful deeds. Because oftentimes, shame is tied into identity. I, yes, our, our actions may be shameful, and we can acknowledge those to the Lord, but our very identity is not covered in shame, right? In the Lord, right, we are set free from shame. And so we need to get clear, right, that when we are confessing, when we are repenting, we're actually living into our identity. Our identity is those who have been made holy. We see this in our Revelation reading, this uh, beautiful picture, uh, usually read on All Saints on um, Sunday, one of the uh, traditional readings for All Saints on um, Sunday, this picture of the saints. And we're told, right, in the beginning of the, the reading from Revelation that they're clothed in white robes. And then we learn later in verse 14, what, what do the white robes mean? Why are they clothed in white robes? Well, their robes have been washed and made white in the blood of the Lamb. It's not their holiness that has made the robes white, it's the blood of the Lamb. It's Jesus' sacrifice for them, right? And that's a picture of the saints. So their identity are those who have been made holy, right? The robes speak to their identity, but it's a holiness that comes from the blood of the Lamb. And they're celebrating it, right? They're, they're joyful. Salvation belongs to the Lord. They are so happy to be giving all credit to God. Right? They aren't living in shame. They're celebrating that they have been made holy through the blood of the Lamb. Just a side note, when we wear white robes as part of our tradition, right, that's not the message that we, the clergy, or whoever wearing white robes are more holy. It's actually saying we, leading this service, represent the people of God. And the people of God have received a white robe as a sign of their holiness. And early baptisms, um, uh, those being baptized would be given white robes after they were baptized to show you are clothed with Christ, with his holiness. And so that's our identity, but that identity we live in as we repent, sometimes a question that comes up is, well, you know, if you're saying um, the Christian life is a life of repentance, 
then sometimes we think, well, that means that we're not taking sin seriously because we can just repent, right? And we're living in the reality, and it is a reality. We have been forgiven of all of our sins, past, present, future. We're completely forgiven in Christ. And so we live in that reality by actually continuing to repent, not because we don't take sin seriously, not because we don't believe that we've been forgiven, but actually we're saying, this is my identity. This is who I am, one who has been forgiven, one who has been made holy in the Lord. And so that repentance is saying, I'm going to continue to live in the light because I'm a child of light. And when I'm living in the darkness, that's actually not true to who I am. It begins actually with who we are in the Lord. And so there's a turning away, right? There's a a freedom from shame. I mentioned this in the first service. I think it's worth mentioning sometimes when we are struggling with that identity of shame, confession, again, brings freedom to that. But I've known many who have actually found that it was helpful to confess to someone else. That's not required. I don't believe we have to do that to be forgiven. No, the Lord hears our confessions. But sometimes, actually, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a pastor going to someone and saying, would you listen to me as I confess my sins to the Lord and affirm me of the forgiveness? That can be really powerful. Shame sort of works all the more powerful in the dark. And actually, when we speak out, and when we acknowledge with others in community, hey, I'm struggling with this. I need to know the freedom of my identity in the Lord it can be very powerful to do that with someone else, and that's an encouragement. I've experienced that both being on the end of listening to someone share something and being on the, the place of sharing uh, with someone else who can assure me of the Lord's forgiveness. So I believe shame at times keeps us from confession, and I believe pride at times keeps us from confession, from repentance, living the life of repentance. Now, pride and shame can be sort of two sides of the same coin, right? Sometimes shame leads to pride. Pride leads to shame. I'm differentiating them, but basically shame is sort of saying, I can't bear to look at my sin. I want to deny it. Whereas pride's a little more like, there is no sin, right? I'm doing great, right? I don't need to confess. I'm doing fine. Now, as Christians, right, at the very foundation of our faith is we need a Savior. So we should never be afraid to admit that we sin because that's, you know, that's, what we believe. We believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again for our sins. And yet pride can creep in. And what I believe often happens is as we refrain from repentance, as we sort of say, I don't need to repent, actually sin sort of blinds us to our need for repentance. I believe actually when um, uh, verse 6, therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. If we say, well, when, when may the Lord be found? I mean, he's always can be found. The Lord is always with us. He's always present. What does that mean when you may be found? I think it's speaking of actually a dynamic we see in the Matthew reading when he says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. That at times when we, when sin is at work in our lives, our, our eyes can be blinded and we don't see God. He's there, but in a sense, our vision is clouded. And so I think that's the same dynamic. Um, prayer when you may be found is, recalls Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Right? When you are aware of your need of repentance, when you're aware that you need to turn to the Lord, turn to him then. As a seminary professor say, keep short accounts with the Lord. Right? Don't sort of build up right over time before you repent. Because actually, as you don't turn to the Lord, as you turn away from the Lord, your eyes are blinded. You may not see actually that he is near. I remember once I'm hearing from someone who for years had walked away from the Lord. And they, they said to a pastor, they said, I just, I'm beyond forgiveness. I, I just, I've, I've gone so far from God that he could never forgive me. But that wasn't the Lord speaking to him. That, that's not from God. That was from, right, Satan. That was from a lie. That was sin speaking to him, right? Because, again, that sin had sort of told him the lie, you are beyond help. 
And so when we turn to the Lord, we realize, of course he's near. He is right here. But sometimes our pride can keep us from doing that. But we see that instead of pride, as we live a life of repentance, we can live in confidence. And they are different. Right? A pride is all about us. Right? It's about putting ourselves forward. Right? I'm, I'm not that bad. I don't need the Lord. Confidence is saying, God truly has forgiven me. I really am a new creation in Christ. So where there is pride, as we repent, we realize, oh, I have a confidence, actually, as I receive from the Lord. And we have this great um, uh, vision, then, of protection. You are a hiding place. You preserve me. You surround me. Right? There's this um, uh, learning. I will instruct and teach you in the way you should go. We have this godly confidence that says, I can learn from the Lord. I can receive from the Lord. And I can be confident of him surrounding me. I can be confident of his protection over me. May we turn away from pride and know a godly confidence that we can rest in him and learn from him that grows from humility. Now, this is a baptism Sunday. I'm sorry we don't have baptisms at this service. We had three um, at the 9 o'clock, but we still want to remember our baptisms on this baptism Sunday. And it's important to know that baptism and repentance go together. Now, we had infants um, baptized um, this morning at the 9 o'clock. Infants can't articulate repentance, but their parents make vows for them to, to, grow, to grow them, to raise them up, to see them grow into a life of repentance. And that's very clear in the liturgy. Right? We have the parents make vows because we believe God works in families. We believe that children belong to the Lord, that the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these, as Jesus said. Right? And so it begins a childhood. But actually, when you see the baptism of a child, I just find it a powerful re- a reminder of this is a life in the Lord. Um, and they are right at the beginning receiving from the Lord and then being called to live that out in repentance. But baptism Sundays are also a time for us uh, to remember um, our baptism and to say, yes, That is who I am, one who has been made clean through the waters of baptism, one who belongs to the Lord, a beloved child of the Lord. That is my identity. And so on this Baptism Sunday, we want to live in that identity. And so I'm going to pray, and then uh, the musicians are going to come on in. I think they're moving that way. There they go. All right. So, um, And then um, what I want to do, actually, is um, I want to say a prayer, and then we're going to sing the the song um, there in the bulletin. One body. Um, And then after that, actually, I want to do the first part of the baptism liturgy with all of you. This is kind of breaking the rules. But but those renunciations and those um, words of turning to the Lord, um, those are great things for us to remember. And so even though, again, we're not uh, being baptized um, today, I'm going to ask you all to do that. So let's stand. We'll sing the song together, and then we'll do the beginning of the presentation there on page 9.
Okay, again, we'll um, do uh, the liturgy there on, on page um, 9, invite you to answer. Um, and, uh, and then at um, communion, when we have communion, we're actually going to have the baptismal font kind of up here. And if, if you come forward for communion, you just want to um, uh, dip your um, hand into the, the font um, and uh, remember your baptism. You can make the sign of the cross if you want to, or just touch that baptismal water. You're not being rebaptized, to be clear. We don't do that. Um, uh, but it's an opportunity to remember your baptism. But I ask you. Do you renounce the devil and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God? I renounce them. Do you renounce the empty promises and deadly deceits of this world which corrupt and destroy the creatures of God? I renounce them. Do you renounce the sinful desires of the flesh that draw you from the love of God? I renounce them. Almighty God, deliver you from the powers of darkness and evil. And lead you into the light and obedience of the kingdom of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Do you turn to Jesus Christ and confess him as your Lord and Savior? I do. Do you joyfully receive the Christian faith that's revealed in the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments? I do. And will you obediently keep God's holy will and commandments and walk in them all the days of your life? I will, the Lord being my helper. You turn then to page 10, the baptismal confession, the top of the page. Do you believe and trust in God the Father? I do. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Do you believe and trust in Jesus Christ? I do. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe and trust in the Holy Spirit? I do. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You can be